Hello, I'm Adam Levine, Assistant Curator of European Art at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Welcome back to our web series, A Portrait of Possibilities, where we share our collaborative research on the AGO's remarkable painting, Portrait of a Lady Holding an Orange Blossom. In our last episode, we shared the exciting news that we have identified the painter of our portrait. Jeremiah Schultz, born in the early 1720s, maintained a successful career as a portrait painter in Amsterdam and its surrounding towns until his death in 1800. In an earlier episode, we learned from costume historians that our painting was made in the first half of the 1770s. So now we're excited to put these data points together and really focus our research on Amsterdam in the 1770s. I wanted to learn more about the city and the people who lived there, so I reached out to Mark Ponta, an archivist and scholar. Mark Ponta is a historian working on early modern migration and slavery with a focus on Amsterdam. He works at the Amsterdam City Archives and is a research fellow at the Moritz House Museum in The Hague. In recent years, he has mainly published on Black Amsterdamers in the 17th century. He conducted research for the exhibition Here, Black in Rembrandt's Time, in the Rembrandt House Museum, and curated the exhibition Amsterdamers and Slavery in the City Archives. He regularly writes for contributions to public historical books and magazines. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. To begin, I wonder if you can set the scene for us and tell us about what Amsterdam was like in the later 1700s. How many people lived in the city? Was the population very international? Was it multiracial? How did class and race intersect at this time in the city? First of all, thank you for this invitation and very nice to talk to you about all these, well, about this very special painting that you have in the collection. If we, if we look at Amsterdam in the late 18th century, although it was not as booming as it was in the 17th century, in the late 18th century, Amsterdam was still a very busy port city with around 200,000 inhabitants, Amsterdamers, as we like to call ourselves. And of course, uh, like every port city, the city was very diverse. Um, since the late 16th century, Amsterdam was built on migrations. Some of them, them highly skilled, some refugees, but most of them poor people from all over Europe, but especially uh, from the neighboring countries, of course. And during the 18th century, I, I think uh, hundreds of thousands of migrants arrived in the city, many of them find employment, found employment within the East India Company, private merchant ships, etc., etc. So they would just stay for, for a couple of weeks in, in Amsterdam and then travel further on, so to say. And uh, many of them were like Germans, Scandinavians, French, but also Italians, Greek. Of course, there were some uh, important and, 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 and well-known migrant communities also. So you could say that all of these groups like German, Scandinavian, they, they had their own communities, but also they, they many of them integrated quite well in, in, into the Amsterdam society since, well, almost everyone had, had a migrant background, so to say. Uh, of course, we had the, 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 the two important Jewish communities, uh, the Sephardic and the Ashkenazi community. And uh, the first group in particular, the, the Sephardic Jews had important contacts in the American colonies, especially in Suriname and Curaçao. And there were also other, let's say, more merchant-like communities like the Armenians. And it's very interesting to, to know, of course, that the painter Schultz also painted an, uh, an, an Armenian, uh, probably in Amsterdam. Um, and they were often also called Persians here because a lot of them came from, from actually what's now uh, Iran. And of course, there were also the people of 
color from the different colonies uh, in Amsterdam. So people with African background, Indian, Indonesian, black sailors, but also people with a history of enslavement. You could say it was a very diverse city, people from all over Europe and some people from even a lot far, farther away. Well, so, and, and you mentioned the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch colonies. And I think it's it's so important to underscore that many people conceive of Amsterdam as at this time as a major cultural and economic center for the Dutch Republic. But it more importantly, and I think more critically, was a major cultural and economic center for the Dutch Empire. So can you tell us a bit about the Dutch Empire at this time? What regions around the globe were colonized as part of this empire? During early modern times, Amsterdam was always the economic centrum center of the republic and its empire that's true Um, and if we talk about around 1670s the most important areas colonized by the dutch were of course in the in the americas you had uh, in the guyanas Suriname, berbice you had some islands in the caribbean sea of course tetia curacao so and from all these areas people came also to amsterdam then you had in in modern day ghana the trading post Elmina, of course, very important in the uh, trafficking of enslaved Africans from from Africa to the Americas. Um, You had uh, the VOC was very active, uh, of course, from Cape um, South Africa to the east with a major uh, colony, uh, the Cape Colony. And then there were the many trading posts in Asia, so all over Asia from Cochin and, and Surat in, in, in India, Sri Lanka, Ceylon, and of course, Batavia, now uh, Jakarta. So let's say a range of trading posts and colonies around the globe, all these, in all these areas also, of course, uh, services and labor was mostly uh, based on enslaved people, both in the East and also uh, and in the West. And so earlier you mentioned that many people of color were born and raised in Amsterdam in this period, um, but some migrated from abroad. And I'm wondering if some, you know, especially um, if they came from areas that had been colonized by the Dutch Empire. And can you tell us sort of a bit about the experiences of these migrants coming to Amsterdam at the time? Well, I think I think it's it's a bit the other way around. So there were more people migrating than were born and raised in Amsterdam. But then again, there were, of course, always people uh, that had lived for their for their whole lives in, in, in Amsterdam or the Dutch Republic. And, well, it's hard to, to talk about the migrant experience, of course. Eh? Uh, as I said before, there were thousands of migrants arriving ev- every day, every day, but every year uh, in Amsterdam. And uh, every one of them in the end had his own story. Most of them would only stay for a couple of weeks before leaving again. In general, of course, most of them would live in the crowder, poorer parts of town, uh, what we now call the Jordaan area, uh, also Floyenburg. So, so in, in both east and west parts of the city, there were like migrant neighborhoods where, where poor people would set, settle. Uh, also outside others, like many of the, of the migrants or maybe... I'm, we shouldn't even say migrants. M- many of them were, of course, not uh, made their own choice to, to go to Amsterdam. So they were more or less trafficked or uh, brought along by merchants, etc. They uh, often worked, of course, in the houses of the rich merchant. So in the canal area. So you have, 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 have in that way, and I think we'll talk about this more, uh, you had 
different groups of migrants, so to say. If we look at it in general, for sailors and, and servants and so on, it was, of course, quite a, a very tough, tough, uh, tough life. You had to work your, your day around to, to, to survive. You know, you just raised this idea of agency, people not necessarily having the choice to come to Amsterdam. You know, are there are there instances of people being enslaved in households in Amsterdam in this period? It's all. It, this is also always an interesting discussion because you had like the the formal rules and then then the actual situation, so to say. And formally, from the the uh, early days, there was no slavery allowed in Amsterdam. So, uh, if one would say, are there slaves or enslaved people in Amsterdam? Well, formally, no, because uh, in the in the rules of the city, it says that everyone in Amsterdam is free. But uh, then again, truth is that that uh, many of the colonizers, so to say, that that and others also that traveled from east and west to Amsterdam brought uh, enslaved servants with with them. Although uh, many of them were formally free, and also in fact they were freed, um, others. Uh, stayed for 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 years in the household of of the the people that that enslaved them in 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 Africa or Asia or or the Americas. So, in fact, there was there were forms of of uh, slavery and bondage in Amsterdam, of course. Yes, I think that that's such an important thing to understand that um, although the legal situation may have barred enslavement, the social and economic conditions meant that there were a number of people who lived in the city in circumstances that we would now today think of as enslavement. Yeah. And and then again, it's also true that that many of them, without formal manumission or something, of course, you did it because of the rules. You didn't need a manumission to, to be free. Then it's also that that also makes it a bit difficult to research sometimes, because if you would have the manumissions, it would also be like a rich source. But we have seen uh, in, in the archive, I've seen so many different stories of both people that are uh, uh, more or less enslaved, but many, many stories of people that, that build their own lives in Amsterdam and also married, married here and built their own social life, so to say. And some stayed working uh, with the people that brought with them or decided to work somewhere else. So, so in some instances, there might have been people who came to Amsterdam uh, working in a household of colonizers who had been enslaved in their home country and then found freedom and, and a different life in Amsterdam upon arrival, right? Is that one version yeah. of migration? Yes, that's that's one version. Then you often come across, but that maybe we'll talk about some of these sources later, of people that are actually formally freed later in their lives, in, in lost wills, etc., etc. And then there is this whole group, but these are m- mostly men who never were enslaved and who were black sailors. or, or, or So there, there were different groups, so to say. And there were also, let's say, the, the, the offspring of, uh, of mixed, mixed uh, relations, whatever that relation meant in the colonies. But of course, white people did get children with enslaved and free colored people in the colonies. And some of them also ended up here in Amsterdam. 
you've mentioned the sources a few times, and and I think that for someone who's never done archival work or or doesn't really know how archives function or what they're like, what can you tell us about the sorts of archives that survive and how you use them to understand social and cultural life in historic Amsterdam? I try to combine as many sources as as possible, of course. So since the people I research are often in the margins of society, it's it's hard to find any archive material about them. But so uh, by combining a lot of sources, you can sometimes get a glimpse of their lives, so to say. The basis is often just the, the ordinary marriage and baptismal record. For example, I was able to map a small black community in the mid 17th century Amsterdam, in the area where also uh, Rembrandt uh, and Govert Flink, for example, worked. They had their workshops there. Uh, and this was, of course, uh, also the subject of this uh, exhibition uh, back in Rembrandt's time. There I used the, the marriage rec- records, or actually the bands, that gives information about, well, of course, the names of the people that want to marry, but also age, occupation, and the place of birth. If you wanted to marry in Amsterdam, you had to bring either your parents or a witness. And you would, of course, bring a witness, mostly a friend or somebody you know very well. Then again, also, if you get children, you bring not only the, the parents are, are noted in the archives, but also the, the godparents. Again, close connections to the, to the parents. And by careful mapping all these people, including their, their relations, the, the, let's say the, yeah, the godparents and other uh, witnesses, I was able to map like a whole group of people that some points were connected to each other. So they knew each other uh, very well. And then these are actually the, the sources you would use for every genealogical research, so to say. But they can also be uh, used to, to map communities. You know, thinking about these, uh, these archival records, you know, do they have the address of the person? Is that one of the ways that you're sort of able to trace yeah. how communities ge- geographically formed in the city? Yeah, this is, this is again, of course, especially the marriage registers tell us also the, the location that somebody was living. So that's another way of seeing, well, if everybody lives in the same street or the same area uh, and, and they have the same background, so to say, we can assume that they knew each other, especially if you can see this again also in, the, in these uh, witnessing uh, patterns. But of course, many people, especially servants and and sailors, never married in Amsterdam or so to say. But then again, we have other sources that that we we can find these people in. And they are especially the notary archives and also other wills that bequest servants or uh, mixed race children, but also contracts, debt securities of African, Asian and Afro-Caribbean sailors. Occasionally, uh, a black or uh, a black person makes a statement about something that happened in town. I, for example, the statement by the black surgeon's apprentice from New York in 1759, um, young Christian Prein, a Dutch name, old names were often Dutchified if you look in the sources, about a patient that he and his colleague had treated. So you, of course, like every other person that lives in the city, uh, sometimes you had to go to the notary to make a statement. Uh, there were many sources. Uh, that, And then there are the sources of the colonies that tells us something about people traveling. For example, from Suriname, let's say the, the, the most important West, West Indian colony in the, in the 18th century, based largely on, on slave slavery with, with the sugar plantations, of course. And in, in Suriname, uh, the governors kept a journal. And in this journal, 
almost all passengers leaving for Amsterdam are mentioned. Of course, the white passengers, but also their enslaved passengers with them are also free uh, uh, black Surinamese that uh, travel to Amsterdam. Uh, if you look only in the year 1770, I, I found 17 black travelers to Amsterdam. And for the, for the whole decade, uh, over 200,000 people Africa, of African descent traveled from Suriname to Amsterdam. So these archive sources denote racial category. Yeah, especially, so uh, the, the Dutch from the colonies, yes, they would say, say uh, whether somebody is black or of mixed race or if he's free or enslaved. The sources in Amsterdam are not so clear. Well, often uh, color is mentioned, but they don't, uh, often don't see the difference between uh, mixed race or, uh, um, and especially if you talk about the 17th century, for example, it, it is not mentioned. It just says that somebody is from Angola or somebody hmm. is from Sheribon or somewhere in India, etc. You can really say in, see in the sources that, that the, the colonies are a lot more racialized than a city like Amsterdam is, where people are not so used. Then again, if you look at, for example, another very important source is the is the church records. So the baptisms of like, not of the children that are born in Amsterdam, but people that are baptized later in, in, in their lives. And they would, of course, get some religious education, so to say. And in these kind of church records of the Dutch Reformed Church, but also uh, other churches, the Lutherans, they would uh, often uh, note uh, that somebody is uh, a black from Suriname or some, yeah, they have different, different names for it, so to say, to say black or more. Um, so this is a very rich source also on, on how people perceived uh, people of color in Amsterdam and also where did these people come from, yeah. I think it's really fascinating and important to kind of think about the ways that different societies within the Dutch Empire impose different racial hierarchies, right? And so thinking about the fact that in, in the colonies, there are sort of more complex terminologies and thinking about how people are sort of sorted into categories based on their so-called like racial makeup mm -hmm. um, and the fact that this in some instances is a bit looser in Amsterdam um, or, or sort of like thinking about where race enters or doesn't enter in the archive in Amsterdam is kind of fascinating to, to hear yeah. about. And it's also very, it's also very interesting to see that of course the white people, so to say, that come from the colonies, they bring the categories from the colonies with them. So if you, so different sources have different ways of looking at color, at, at race, there are some examples where, uh, for example, in a last will, if you talk about freedom and slavery, that people are mentioned as uh, my servant or my slave, or or the word slave is scratched through and then their servant changed into servant, or they often talk about gewezene slavine, former enslaved. I don't think this this answers your last question. No, no, no. I think that 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 really does, and and I was also struck by you mentioned that in some instances, for your research, it doesn't necessarily use racial categories, but does state a country of origin or a region yeah. of origin. And, and I think, you know, critically, that's very different from race. Yeah. And, and, and the interesting thing in this, of course, it, it doesn't say a thing about if somebody in the 17th century says that he's born in Angola, 
and that he's a sailor and he marries someone in Amsterdam that's from Brazil, I assume that this this man is a black Angolan. But of course, uh, if, if it's not mentioned, you never know for sure how somebody looked or, or how people looked at them. And that's why I use, because I'm a historian, but, but I, I, I work a lot with artworks from the period as well, also to get an idea how people actually looked. And of course, it's hard to tell uh, who is who on a, on a painting, but, but still, I think this is very important to combine all these sources, including uh, artworks. Well, I think, I think uh, it's a to... great time to turn to our painting then. Thinking about the portrait of a lady holding an orange blossom at the Art Gallery of Ontario, so much of this project has been trying to learn more about the identity of this woman. We've found many different ways to sort of get closer and closer to understanding who she is. We can sort of approximate her age and the fact that she is a young woman in the 1770s and that she's in Amsterdam or a surrounding town. But we still don't know her name and we don't really know what her life would have been like. But I wonder if your knowledge of the archives and some different episodes that arise in the archives that live within the archives can help us to think about, not her, but think about what some different lives of young women of color in Amsterdam might have been like at this time. And if that is sort of another way that we can start to kind of approximate thinking about the life of the woman in this painting. So does that make sense from your perspective as a historian that dwells in the archives, looks at the archives? And, and, and what can you tell us thinking about um, the sources? Yes, so uh, of course, First of all, in the in the preparation of this talk, I, 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 I of course I tried to look for clues if I could find something that could connect really somebody uh, in the archives with the woman on the painting or the girl, uh, the young woman, the girl. Um, but this, of course, is a very difficult, almost impossible task. But if we look at uh, the lives more general of young women of color in the 1670s, uh, 1660s, 1670s, I think we well, there's a lot of uh, source material that you could use um, and also think we can divide the people in well we've talked about this a little bit before in, in different social categories and it could also be useful to analyze what we see on the painting right uh, so the vast majority of course of the women of colors and girl of color uh, brought uh, to Amsterdam, uh, accompanying retired officials from the East India Company or plantation owners from Suriname or, or in the West. Some of them were small children when they arrived. For example, I, I, I wrote about the story Christina van der Geugde from the Batavia, so modern day Jakarta, who arrived in Amsterdam in 1766. No, no, she arrived in the 1750s, but um, she turns up for the first time in the archives in 1766 when she's 18 years old and uh, she's locked up in in the city uh, uh, yeah the pin house spinning house where where uh, women that were disobedient so to say were locked up uh, for a, a working house and we know a lot about her because she was interrogated at that time and and she tells a lot about her life so to say and she was one of these children that was born in the house of, an, of a VOC merchant in Batavia. And as a five-year-old, she was separated from her mother 
her mother was an enslaved woman in the house there, brought by this family to the Dutch Republic, uh, while him, her mother uh, remained in uh, Batavia. And as a teenager, Christina was sent away to work as a domestic servant outside the city. We don't know whether this was the idea of, of this family from the start, that they would bring this young girl to, to serve later on, but that, that was the situation in, in, uh, when she was 18. And she refused all the time to start working somewhere else. And then she returned to Amsterdam. And, and in the 1670s, early 1770s, the conflict really escalated. And she threw, uh, uh, broke the windows of the house uh, of, the, of the merchant, and so to say. And uh, because she was interrogated, of course, we can know a little bit about her story. And I think her story stands for, for many other women of color at this time in Amsterdam. They were brought as children. Um, some of them were even left out on the streets, ended up in orphanages. Others stayed in the house but had to work there. But then again, there were, of course, also girls and women that were a lot better off. Some of them married in the city or remained in the houses, paid, paid servants or went to other houses of their own choice. Came across a very interesting example last week or a couple of weeks ago, Anna Maria from Sherry Bon, And she was also 13 years old when she arrived in Amsterdam in the 1670s. No, the 1760s. Sorry. So uh, Anna Maria from Sherry Bon was 13 year, years old when she arrived in uh, 1761 in Amsterdam. And she, during her lifetime here, she worked in different households. Uh, she was not rich, but she earned a decent amount of money. And if we look, and she also, she inherited a little bit from the, the, the people that brought her here. She, she made up her own will. And then you can see that she had money and that she was an independent woman in, uh, 20 years later. Even between the servants, you have different, different stories, of course. Then again, there's another group. And if I look at this painting, I think this could also be an option if you look at them. And that's uh, what we talked about er earlier is the, the the children of the white fathers and the and the women of color in in the colonies that were sent to the Dutch Republic for education. Mm. Some of them were actually rich rich heiresses of the plantations of their fathers. A striking example is, uh, for example, Wilhelmina Balak from the Dutch colony of Berbice, so next to Suriname in what's now uh, Guyana. Wilhelmina was the daughter of a free black woman named Kaatje, uh, and the plantation owner, Johan Andreas Balk. And upon her father's death in the early, in 1806, Wilhelmina Balk became the owner of the plantation uh, of her father. She had arrived, arrived in Amsterdam already in the 1780s as a very small child. And when she was older, she got uh, education, of course, languages, etc., reading, writing, also drawing lessons from uh, uh, Christian Andriessen, the son of oh. the more famous painter, uh, Julian Andriessen. We know quite a lot about, about Wilhelmina because um, this Christian Andriessen uh, had a, a draw diary for, for five years or so. And he made quite a few drawings also of uh, Wilhelmina, who was in the same uh, circle, so to say. Yes. So she, she lived at a merchant in Amsterdam that was taking care of her. Uh, of course, a trading merchant, trader with the West Indies and the, the, the business partner of her father in, in, in Berbice. Later, she married a, a well-to-do man from uh, Amsterdam and, and, and traveled back to Berbice, where she, well, she sadly died very early uh, in childbirth. But this is another category of, of people, and not all of them were so well-to-do as, as, uh, as, uh, as Wilhelmina was. There are others 
that were there's for example alida charles who ended up being um, uh, running a bar with her dutch hus husband in amsterdam so she 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 had her own business with her husband there are many stories also to find about groups of immigrants of color in amsterdam and if i look at the painting painted by schulz in a way it wouldn't surprise me if this is also one of these more well-to-do offspring of maybe a white uh, merchant or another option uh, some of them actually some some people also adopted children um, from asia if when they didn't have their own but this of course is, this is very speculation there are so many many other possibilities still of who she is but as she is so dressed up and and and, and she she could be one of the uh, more well-to-do this is really fascinating because Early on in our conversations about this painting, we were sort of thinking about um, kind of well-known portraits by European artists of women of color from the 1770s. And one of the images that came up in conversation was the portrait of Dido Bell, which is in England. And Dido Bell was born to a white English nobleman and a um, free black mother, I believe, in in the Caribbean, and her father sent her to be raised and educated in England. And her portrait was made there. And it's 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 a very it's a, if you know it's a very similar circumstance to the one that you're describing. So mm -hmm. uh, we have been sort of thinking about this possibility for a long time. One thing I want to kind of you know you've talked about the Dutch East India Company, the Dutch West India Company, and I want to make sure that we're I'm not inadvertently collapsing important differences between the lives of, say, Black Africans, Black Caribbeans, and East and Southeast Asians in Amsterdam, um, to say that, you know, all, like, that there's sort of a single, singular experience of people of color in the late 18th century. Well, if you look at the sources, I would say uh, many of the white people put them all in one category, so to say. Okay. So they have the same words describing the the, the race or color of uh, people from East and from West. The, the N-word is used for people from the East and the West. More is used for people from East and West. or So from East, from people of African descent, people of Asian descent, of course, Asian. Within these categories, there are so many different people, so many different groups but in the eyes for example of, of, of the Dutch Reformed Church they were all put uh, in the same category and they were non-white people from the colonies I see and uh, not there's uh, for them there was no uh, distinction and also in other in, in most other sources you don't see uh, much difference of course they say this this person is from Suriname she's from Bali somebody else is from Batavia or Bengal or so in a way uh, for for the, the general Amsterdam people maybe they didn't make very it's it starts to become different if you look closely of course with their own connections so of course for I've seen for example many people uh, if, if people marry in Amsterdam apart from the 17th century but in the 18th century many most of these Marriages are mixed race. So whether it's the men or the female came from uh, from the colonies, um, they married to uh, white people in Amsterdam. 
not all of them, of course. There were always people that found somebody with a background that was more or less the same as theirs. But even then, for example, so in the 17th century, in the, 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 the time when Rembrandt was active, uh, so to say, this, it, it was very different. So then you really had a, like a, a black community at a certain place in time where everybody, most of the people married within this community. But in the 18th century, I haven't seen this, this parents, and it, it seems like people are generally mixed and integrated in the society or stayed in the homes of the, of the people that brought them in the first place. There's, there's one interesting uh, quote, actually, about the marriage of, uh, of uh, Wilhelmina Balk. And it's one of the, I, I don't know if you if you read it because she she married, she was of course a, a woman of, of color so to say she had a, a a black mother and a and a white father when she married in Amsterdam and this is one of the only sources that we have that that actually says something about how people were perceived by others by the the other people in in, in town white white Amsterdamers. And then when she, she married in Amsterdam, she married to this Justice Swaving. And this Justice Swaving, well, he was a well-to-do guy, but also a bit of an adventurer also. And he, he wrote down his, his life story later in his life. And he also tells uh, about his marriage to, to Wilhelmina. And then uh, there's this quote, and I, I can quote her because it's, it's a very interesting quote. And he says that when he moved, uh, when he was in the city hall, uh, a stout Amsterdam fishwife, so to say, being one of the 28 mostly heavily pregnant brides with whom we stood at the bar, was unashamed enough to cry out in the middle of the solemn ceremony, saying, hands on her hips and roaring with laughter, what is that black blood doing in the cold? So there you have like the, let's say, an, an ordinary Amsterdam wife they call him so yeah would this could mean somebody that's actually selling fish on the street but also it is a, a way of how they a typical rude uh, woman so to say of a uh, low-class woman and she did indeed say something about about uh, this uh, rich white guy ma marrying uh, uh, a woman of color in in the city so then again, we don't know. This is all what 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 Flapping wrote about it. But uh, but so still, yeah. So so Wilhelmina's background doesn't really insulate her as she moves through the city on the street, or you know that she from deep seated anti blackness. No, and 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 if we look, the the sources are interesting because we have this uh, this diary of uh, this drawn diary, and in all these drawings, she is well inside. The elite society, so to say, because she get uh, drawing lessons with other girls, uh, elite Dutch uh, Dutch girls, often also with fathers who are involved in colonial trading, uh, but then uh, white girls, and 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 so she's she's really according it, according to that the drawing she's integrated into the elite of Amsterdam, right? But then again, you see what what happened to her when she's walking on the streets and, and somebody uh, puts like it in her face that she's yeah. not a, a white Amsterdam woman. woman. Yeah, that yeah. sort of falls away. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's yeah, really interesting to, kind of, to think about how race and class intersect in a number of really complicated ways in, in the city at this time. Yes.
and 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 of course with with women like 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 Wilhelmina, of course, if you have a lot of money, things change in a way. So so um, you can find a, a rich husband sometimes, or somebody that's looking for uh, for your inheritance actually. Yes. Yeah. And so that there, there is. Uh, again, there are so many different stories to tell about these people that that uh, it's hard to say this is this is the way to look. But I think it, more or less these these are the two categories of of people that that you well if if we have to to put a name on the sitter on the painting, well we cannot put a name. But I yeah no I really appreciate that because we you know this is effectively how the research process works for thinking about a painting yeah. like this, you know, um, looking at the fact that the painting itself was ever made, the way that the sitter is dressed, the sort of nobility effectively of the way that she's holding this orange blossom and the the way that, that she's treated, the fact that it's a single portrait, not a group portrait. Obviously, she's connected pretty directly with a fair amount of wealth, whether it's it's in her own bank account or it's in a father's or husband's bank account at this time, or whether she is part of a household that has a tremendous amount of wealth. It's obvious that she, you know, we can sort of look to specific corners of powerful, wealthy society in Amsterdam at this time to try to sort of locate her. Yeah. Also, like really, because if we look at the painting, of course, it's also... The setting is not Amsterdam. The setting is some uh, rich land house outside of Amsterdam. So, which, well, of course, only the the the, the very rich in town had these kind of land houses outside uh, at the Amstel River in summer. Uh, the rich uh, merchants would go outside, and and the, of course, it still doesn't tell us anything anything about the woman. She could be a servant. Uh, traveling with his family to the country house, or she could be a family member of a of or or even a lady of the house, so to say. But it gives us a clue in what circles we have to look for her. She must be whether as a member or as a servant, but she is somewhere in the very high, rich uh, circles of Amsterdam. Yeah, you have given us so much to think about today, and so much information from the archives and from your vast knowledge. So I'm, I'm so grateful to you for your time and for your insight. Um, this has been really fascinating. Thank you. I, I like that. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And stay tuned as we kind of work from the information that Mark has shared with us today, and we continue to conduct our research and learn more about the painting. Thank you all for joining us and take care.